Pop Shield, a long-form discussion podcast about musical topics both past and present. I'm Gabe, and I'm joined as always by Dan. Hello. And Derek. Hello. So our first thought on trying to come up with an episode uh, topic is always to look at upcoming momentous anniversaries. And it's become apparent that so many classics are turning 50 this year that we won't possibly be able to get to them all. So instead of trying to devote an entire episode to each of our favorite albums released in 1970, we've decided to tackle them all at once by counting down and probably arguing about our personal picks for the five best albums released that year. I want to save a little time for honorable mentions and our reflections on the musical landscape of 1970 in general. So I think it's best that we jump right into our list. Dan, what is your number five favorite album of 1970? Yeah, number five for me is it tough, but uh, I went with Black Sabbath Paranoid. Uh, wow. You know, it just it, it, it started doom. I mean, Black Sabbath released two albums this year and, and those two albums uh, are 1970 when i say this year um but <laughs> yeah. those albums like yeah uh, essentially formed uh you know doom which which is a, a genre that I, I i very much uh enjoy in in present day and um paranoid it's just a it's just a badass record you know it, it's a, got a little dad rock for you in there you know war pigs <laughs> i appreciate Iron Man. that i'm in there yeah. you know <laughs> you you gotta have a little dad rocket now and then, but then you know you've got you got some weird stuff, you know, uh, rat salad, uh, planet caravan. It, it's just it just got everything you, you could really want in like uh, this is just the, the quintessential like proto doom record. Yeah, I mean we uh, so I guess one thing that's coming to my mind now is that on our previous podcast we did this little thing once where we did like our um, we each picked like a, a guilty pleasure album, yeah, yeah. right? And you picked this. So why why is it that you would both describe it as a guilty pleasure and your fifth favorite album of the year? Well, I think we determined uh, on our guilty pleasure. I, I don't think the the theme was guilty pleasure. I think what we did get dad the rock, pleasures. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because guilty pleasure, okay. I did. I okay. did soft sell, which I stand by that as well. Mm. But uh, yeah, it was dad rock, and you know. But but that I mean, you know, it's a similar concept. You know, there's a little bit of guilt in it. I think because you know you. Um, when you think of Black Sabbath, you just think of like the radio hits, you know, Iron Man, War Pigs, like I mentioned. You know, it seems like a little dad rocky, especially, you know, if you think about Ozzy, uh, you know, post Black Sabbath and how embarrassing that is. Um, but, but, you know, like it just really like when it comes down to it, this is like an actually good record. You know, not all dad rock records are bad. <laughs> well, what do you think about this record, Darren? You know, Gabe, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I had this record or I had some sort of CD for Black Sabbath and the song War Pigs like would would skip and start over on the CD. Like I could never get through <laughs> War Pigs ever. So like I just kind of like feel tortured every time I start to listen to that song because I feel like it'll never end. Very, very wow. weird. But um but yeah, like I you know, I, I sort of started my I guess listening career i don't know if you'd call it that or whatever with like you know classic rock right so war pigs uh, iron man those things were like regularly played alongside acdc zeppelin you know all of those um dad rock so so it's it's really hard for me to think about this you know in terms of like an album without you know those really like standing out so far beyond the uh the rest of the album huh. you know what i mean yeah i interestingly like always had a kind of ironic detachment to this record um like in the sense of i didn't really dig it that much when i was in my classic rock phase back back in that like high school era um 
And it was like, even though I did listen, I like actually bought it and, and listened to it quite a bit, but it was just never like really my thing. And then it, it was like later that I came to really appreciate it. I think it's, it's an awesome record. One question I have, and this is something I think we'll return to, but like, I, I noticed very much that most of the records, if not all that I picked, I would describe as top heavy. And this record is like absurdly top heavy. Would you agree with that, Dan? I don't because I love fairies wear boots and that's the last track. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, obviously it's like stacked with the uh, the hit single. You know, War Pigs is the first track and then Iron Man's number four. Paranoid's number two. I always forget that's a huge single too. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. basically the, 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 the first side of the record minus Planet Caravan is all huge singles. But I think that's just, you know, sort of like the way albums were, uh, you know, in the 60s into the 70s. Did you guys notice that? Like at all this week, these last two weeks when you're going through these records that like almost all of them are kind of top heavy in that way. Yeah, for sure. Only a couple of the records I pick that are, uh, you know, more, uh, more, more friendly to the, to the, to the normie, if you will. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just think that's like a really, really interesting and something I'm sure that I will bring up over and over again. Um, all right, Derek, what is your number five album of 1970? Number five for me was the Beatles. Let it be. Okay, um, very right. interesting. How come? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's hard to ignore, you know, the Beatles in any year that they released an album, obviously. Um, and this one, you know, I think like the story behind it um probably is what I've always found the most intriguing, you know, kind of like it sounds a lot like you're listening to the the band falling apart, you know, it's it's very strange the timing of this album being released like a year after like Abbey Road when chronologically it had already been recorded. You know what I mean? But I don't really, you know, I don't think of it that way when I'm listening to it. It's more like I, I kind of know where I'm at in the Beatles history when I listen to this record. And it's less about it's 1970 and it's more about somewhere between 68 and 69, right? Um, so you cheated. Um, well, yeah, but I mean, look, it came out in 70, so it counts. So <laughs> That's true. That's true. um you know i don't think there's really any song in particular that i should point out that we haven't already you know we probably talked about most of this record in one way or another but um you know some of my favorites personal favorites two of us um i got a feeling you know this version of across the universe is probably not my favorite um yeah I i wanted to ask are you like in your mind maybe even subconsciously including like the aura of let it be naked so in your assessment of this I knew album? you would I knew you guys would probably ask me that cuz like <laughs> I think I've historically said that I think let it be naked is better and I still kind of stand by that but I I did not listen to let it be naked at all I specifically uh, stuck with this one um it's just it's much messier you know what I mean and I think it's more authentic like that's really what kind of you know I I think it it captures the feeling of like them breaking up and not just not having it all together you know let it be naked is somehow like sort of just taking all of these hundreds and hundreds of takes and just manufacturing a really clean perfect record uh, you know what i mean but that's not that's not really how it how it at least the way i perceive it to be right yeah yeah i mean i guess it, it's it's really like the strangest phenomenon and i should say that i feel pretty confident we're gonna end up doing like a full episode on let it be because there's just so much to say sure. and we'll probably get like a 50 50th anniversary um 
you know, these remixes they've been doing, um, which I would be very much looking forward to. And we would definitely have to do an episode if that was the case. Um, you know, so I don't want to say too much, but like, Dan, what, like, what is the deal with this record? Because like Darren was mentioning, it's like, I can't even make sense of it. It's like trying to kind of capture this, you know, get back, getting back to this earlier spirit when it was like a real band, they were a real rock band, like a working rock band jamming out in the studio and everything. And you get some of that, you get like the studio chatter and all this stuff. And yet simultaneously you get like the most overblown production choices (laughs) by Phil Spector ever. Like it's just, you know, like the, those weird little, like um, what Maggie may and um, dig it, you know, like those Mm -hmm. weird little rehearsal type clips, like, this record like just makes no sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's like if they had stuck with that, um, you know, that theme of like getting back right. to, uh, to 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 you know just being like a regular old rock band or whatever. I think um, I think like one after nine oh nine is like a a song like Paul and and John wrote like very early like a, as kids or whatever you know, and right. um, but but yeah, you do that and then you just like you polish it up more than than abbey road or or sergeant peppers or or any of these you know other records that are that are you know post uh live um band and and yeah it just like it it was like an idea that that i feel like wasn't fully uh fledged uh fully thought out and it's a shame because i mean the individual like parts of this record are so great and like let it be naked is really great i honestly like the let it be movie uh even um you know the the rooftop concert is like such a cool thing but it's like when when you when you put this record like together the way it is the way it came out uh in 1970 it it just like i think it's like clearly the worst like um you know post pop band beatles record maybe even it's probably the second worst like in general um i mean i i didn't put it on what's the worst that was in your mind just then uh probably beatles for sale it's just like the most like okay you don't even you know you gotta remember that one even exists uh i was just gonna i was gonna flip if you said like some controversial no 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 no, no. okay i'll allow um but you know like like i didn't put this on my list and honestly like when i was when i was uh initially like forming my list it felt like you know almost heresy to to not put it you know to the beatles (laughs) release an album in, in a year and you're doing the top five they doesn't even make the top five <laughs> right, in a year right. you know but like i i really just had to be honest with myself like I, I went through my like rate your music i had i think it's 13 like things i had rated five stars and, and let it be wasn't one of them you know i i i, I yeah. gave it a four and a half and I, you know i i'd stick with that um now you know and it's like it's incredibly slight it's like barely 30 minutes long mm-hmm. and there's like a those little rehearsal clips, like I mentioned. There's like some studio chatter and stuff. I mean, it's not like we're trying to dissuade you, Darren, but you know, do you <laughs> do you feel the uh, the conflict of like this is kind of a mess of a record? It's like barely even a full thing, at least not even close to what it was supposed to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. But like like I said earlier, like I sort of love the surrounding story um, mm. about this record. I love that they're like so many different versions of the record of these individual songs there's really, really there's songs like don't let me down that's not here that was released as a single but then ended up on <laughs> right. let it be naked you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it, it's just there's just and you know the beatles are probably of all bands one of the have one of the most fascinating stories so even a record like this which i think 
if it was done by any other band, you'd probably just say it's a total mess and for, you know, pretty forgettable, but it being the Beatles, there's just, you know, there's just so much more going on behind. Yeah. Song, mm-hmm. you know? I think that's true, but I also think it's worth mentioning that there are like some fantastic songs here. Um, Absolutely. I was, I actually, I threw it on today because I figured somebody would pick it. And um, I was like, I was just like noting that I, me, mine, right. This George Harrison song, it would probably be like a standout on his album, All Things Must Pass, which mm-hmm. came out the same year. And I wonder if we'll talk about it later. We'll see. But um, it's like a low light here somehow. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's actually completely overshadowed by uh, a bunch of these like absolute masterpiece tracks here. So, yeah, I, again, I want to do a full episode on this sometime because it's like the strangest album, like just because it happens to be by the Beatles and it's such a mess and all this backstory and all this stuff. Um, but I'll move on to my number five, which is Neil Young's After the Gold Rush. Okay. Not on anybody else's? It, it, it's, a, it's an honorable mention for me, you know. It, 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 okay. It's, it was one of those five-star records I had. Yeah, I guess, like, you know, for me, it's um, it's maybe, like, the comfiest record ever made. It's um, <laughs> There's something, like, so, I don't know. It's weird because it's a pretty sparse, like, unadorned album. There's a lot of, like you know solo acoustic strumming and um solo piano you know composition and stuff like that but something about the way it's recorded is like so i don't know it's just like warm and 70s to me it just like screams the 70s i don't know what it is like the way he's strumming this guitar and it's like got that like little kind of like harsh analog distortion or something like that um because he's strumming pretty hard um there's something so great about it there's something that i find like really fascinating about neil young because i think his compositions are really really quite like simple and they have this kind of like he kind of comes out of the school right of like that california pop of the late 60s you know what i mean like which is basically laurel canyon yeah 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 and like basically like the peak of that is is crosby stills nash and young Mm -hmm. you know um and yet what he does i think is kind of like whittle it down to its just core parts you know so instead of like this really lush flowery arrangements with these like crystal perfect harmonies you get like a single sloppy guitar and like the the whiniest like shrillest kind of voice you've ever heard you know um and and yet like the song itself is just as gorgeous as like some timeless classic that joan baez would cover or something like that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean what do you guys make of this record neil young in general yeah, I, lo- I love this record. Uh, it's not my favorite Neil Young. It- it's probably not even my second or-, or third favorite. But I mean, Southern Man is one of my like favorite Neil Young songs. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just like such a, a shit talk, and I <laughs> I-, I love it. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a it's a great record. He he had such like a, a great stretch. Uh, you know, a- yeah. around around this time. Um, you know, basically from this record uh, till you know tonight's the night. Um are just those are all you know five stars and uh like i said it it was one that like i i thought of that that fifth spot on my list like really sort of switched Uh, between a bunch of stuff and and this was this was definitely one of them yeah what's your what's your uh neil young um opinion darren i feel feel like we we talked about a little neil young in our previous podcast but i kind of don't remember what your feelings are yeah i think that i've always sort of considered him a bit of a blunder you know, I, I've I have listened to his records. I've listened to this record. I listened to this one actually in the lead up to this episode just to make sure I wasn't like missing something um, <laughs> that I should reconsider. And 
you know, it's it's a fine record. I, I still don't think I've spent enough time with it, um, or with Neil Young in general. I think uh, we cover. I think we covered tonight's tonight. Isn't that what we did on? Uh, yeah, I think we did. Yeah, metaphor. Yeah. I think and, we did. Time fades away. Also, for some reason. Yeah, I think we did. We did. And I'm pretty sure that I, you know, came away like, you know, feeling pretty good about about all that. But I, you know, to be perfectly honest, it's not Neil Young has not been something that I've I've come back to. So. Yeah, well, I want I find him kind of like a challenging artist because he has this pretty like huge discography, and he yep. just have this like incredible run that you mentioned, Dan, where it's like he seems to be dropping like an album or two every year, and it's just like th- there's something weird about Neil Young where, like this record, for example, I think is just sequenced in the most nonsensical way possible. Yeah, like I, I don't understand at all <laughs> why it's sequenced the way it is. Um, I get the feeling this is almost certainly not true, but that Neil would just like, he would just like lay down the last 11 songs he wrote and uh, release them as a record. You know what I mean? Like that was just his thing. It wasn't like yeah, yeah, planning some overarching. <laughs> and it's just so bizarre. Like, Cause like Southern man is, is awesome. Like you mentioned, it's like the grimiest, like proto grunge kind of thing. You know, they call him the Godfather of grunge for a reason. And just like these weird, like gritty, grimy guitar solos mm-hmm. and stuff like it's like a it's like a long heavy like country rock jam and just the way that it just comes out of nowhere after only love can break your heart like this <laughs> and then before tender... till the morning co- morning comes <laughs> yeah yeah like it makes it, it makes no sense yeah. there it doesn't make really any sense to start a record with tell me why like a solo acoustic song other than it's just an awesome song um you know, it feels like I, I sort of jotted down after we did our, our thinking about like our pavement episode, I guess, um, that it's like the first half is like Crooked Rain and the second half is Wowie Zowie. Just like for some reason, it's like knockout after knockout, another top heavy record, like I mentioned, and then just gets like kind of weird and like these little short songs and these kind of strange, like a country cover, like an old country cover yeah. from like the 50s for some reason. Um, weird, weird record, but I just can't. It's like. It it feels like he's not putting a lot of effort into the final product, and yet he just he like could not stop writing perfect songs for like almost the entire seventies. So, you know, I'll take it. But yeah, ended up <laughs> in my number five, which was almost almost sort of a surprise to me. Um, move on to number fours, Dan. What is your number four record of nineteen seventy? Yeah, number four for me, I went with Miles Davis, "Bitches Brew." Uh, this okay. is just like such a great record. It, you know, it's it's. One thing I love about it is like it's so massive. It's ninety four minutes long, and it's it's just you know Miles being the some of the most experimental he gets. I love the like idea of like playing uh, his horn through guitar pedals. Um, <laughs> the whole record is like made up of these like jam sessions, and the tapes are cut to form the songs. You know, like this you know music concrete kind of way. I think it's just like the. I mean, it just really shows like how brilliant Miles is, um, because on top of all that, you know, you say that stuff, oh, but then it, it's like the best-selling jazz record of all time. You know, like he was able to 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 balance, you know, this um, this extreme like experimentation with like commercial viability, which I think is something that's very uh, you know rare uh, and hard to do. And, and, and I mean, it's it's just such a great record. Yeah, for me, I, I don't know what it is, but this is like, it's like, I, I really love this record, but it's my least favorite of his fusion period, probably, um, or at least like the big, big fusion records. Um, 
it's, you know, like, like you mentioned, this cut up technique, it's like very, uh, it feels very composed. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like a, it's like a music concrete composition. Yeah. Yeah. Composed of like these kind of loose jams. And I, I much prefer like the complete bitches brew sessions, you know, or yeah, those are fun. Yeah. And, and I just like really like, you know, stuff like, I know there's some cutting up and stuff in like on the corner, uh, stuff like that. But I've, or like Jack Johnson, for example, is just pure like them jamming. And yeah. it's like, I, I, just, I just like strongly prefer that because sometimes I'm listening to Bitches Burn. It's like, this is like such a sick groove. This is like so awesome. And then it just like, you know, swells into this like, like I'm listening <laughs> to like Schoenberg or something like some like totally abrasive shit. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I appreciate that. And I love Jack Johnson. I, I probably like that record more than Bitches Brew. Um, and I, right. I, I love like a lot of the... Um, the live albums from this time, like uh, Agartha or however you say it, like Pangea, yeah. um, you know, those are so great, but I mean, bitches brew is just like, I, I like that. Like we are, you know, like, Oh, we're in Schoenberg, you know, territory now. Like, I, yeah. I, I think that's such like a, a neat thing. I, I do agree though. It, it's, it's not uh miles is, is best record ever, but I mean, I think when you're, when you're not best record ever, ever is as good as this, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's pretty nuts. Yeah, it's true. I just hate when I'm like really, you know, I'm really feeling a groove and I'm like, and then it's like, you know, you know, and I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Do you have any, uh, any relationship with this record, Darren? Yeah, I used to, I've listened to it before. Um, I think way back when I was like kind of discovering jazz and stuff, but, uh, you know, it is, it is a really long record and I can't say that I know it well enough to have considered it. It was like something that I was going to go back to, but it is it's an extremely long <laughs> yeah. record so. investment yeah <laughs> yeah well i i this was one that i knew for sure was going to be on uh on dan's list um <laughs> so darren you're number four number four for me is curtis by curtis mayfield okay, okay. that's on yeah. my list as well that almost was on mine i, I wanted it on there i'll save the number but but go ahead so yeah like i um you know, I can't, I honestly can't remember when I first heard this record. I've kind of just always had it. You know, we have just over the years, like, discovered things, you know, when you find out there's a five-star record, you just kind of put it in the, on the back burner, eventually come, come around to it. And, and I, and I did, and then I, I came back to it again, of course, after, like, um, Kanye West sampled The Makings of You mm-hmm. on that song, The Joy, which I love, um, it reminded yeah. me to come back to this, and then I came back to it again this week, and, it had been a while since I'd listened to it, but you know, it just, it's just so obviously so groovy. I mean, there's, you know, so much you can say about a song like move on up, you know, you just, right, I hear, right. you hear it all the time. Um, I feel, I feel like anyway, um, you know, the, the messages of the, of the record kind of fell into a very timely period with, with what's been going on in the world recently, you know, um, uh, Certainly can't quote some of the you know lyrics in the first song. But, uh. <laughs> yeah, I wa- I wanted to mention that it's like it was really funny to to listen to this this week. I mean, not funny re- exactly, but it was like you know like the funny first song peculiar. you about, like <laughs> yeah this um this first song you know don't worry there's a hell below or whatever it's like you know kind of like talking about the, these like racial tensions that are like threatening to boil over and everything and right um. And, you know, which is obviously very pertinent to right now. And yet I just love that he's sort of saying like, you know, Nixon is saying, don't worry. You know what I mean? Like, and it's sort of, it's sort of, it's like an indictment of like, he's saying, don't worry, but really it is, 
much much worse than anybody realizes and um I was thinking, like, man, imagine if we have had a president who, like, at least said, "Don't worry," <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, instead of like, it's like, it's funny because it's sort of, it's sort of, um, you know, relevant, but actually the complete opposite. Where instead of like somebody trying to downplay it, we have somebody who's like totally exacerbating it. Um, so that that struck me as sort of a, a funny, quote unquote, irony there. But well, yeah, yeah and, and like you know, the, you know, the song like "We the People Who Are Darker Than Blue," you know, just the things that he's saying and how like relevant they are to today is like both like extremely like depressing, but also like, you know, just fascinating. Right. But it, it just yeah. sounds like it's, it's a conversation that we should be having today. Really. We shouldn't be. If he was talking about in 1970, how far have we come, but we're still kind of <laughs> right. like returning to the same subject matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I just think it's like such a beautiful record because it's, yeah. You really, you kind of like know the the singles, you know, like don't right. worry and uh, move on up and stuff. But it's a pretty melancholy album, mm-hmm. sort of. I guess like it, it ends on sort of like a, a an uplifting note a little bit. But um, you, would, I, I just imagine you would kind of buy this record and be surprised that it's like quite um, sad. And yet, right. it kind of works in this nice way where it's got like it. It almost seems like divided a little bit into two halves. Where like the first half is like very pessimistic, and the second half is a little more optimistic despite being overall a little low key but that kind of yin and yang going on on this record makes it like it makes the depressing songs like you know feel much more depressing and the like really joyous songs feel even more joyous i think it's like kind of a brilliant thing here um yeah i mean i think it's just like it's a it's an incredible record because if you think about it this is like kind of the first record that's that kicked off like that kind of 70s like socially conscious soul thing that went on you know what i mean with like marvin gay obviously the, the the following year drops what's going on you got like isaac hayes even like gil scott heron and stuff even though like some of his like poetry stuff sort of precedes this but he kind of like just started this wave that seems to have just continued to ride all the way to today and um so that's incredible i also think that yeah like you mentioned aaron i mean this is a record with like move on up you could make a good strong argument that it's the best song ever made ever yeah. by anybody yeah. um it's, it's at least a contender and i feel like if the rest of the record was like just silence this would still probably <laughs> yeah. be on that list. worth the price the price of a mission for sure. yeah 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 i mean i will say that like it's it's um it, it doesn't quite recover from that i think it's um not that it should be at the end but you get these like three shorter songs at the end you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it's kind of like they're spectacular songs, but the album cannot. It's like if the Beatles put a day in the life, you know, track eight or something. Yeah, Pepper, right, you know I mean? right, right. Yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on this, uh, Dan? Yeah, I won't say too much, you know, for time. But um, I, I mean, I love this record. I, I do agree with you. I, I think it is like a little hard to to recover from "Move On Up" being so great. Uh, I do kind of wish that was the last song. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just a fantastic record, and like Darren said, I mean, sad that it's still so um, you know relevant. But I mean, it is, and I, I guess that 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 speaks to the classicness of it, maybe in a in a in a negative way. But um, yeah, I mean, this is just a a, a fantastic record. I mean, Curtis is another person who had like a a really good run in the early seventies. You know, from this Superfly Roots, you know, like right, just right. just back to back to back, like classic records yeah um th- i don't know if this is like exactly relevant to uh the curtis mayfield conversation but what thought i had that i, I kind of jotted down here was like maybe you'll disagree with this whole premise but 
is is it um doesn't seem like it's kind of easy if somebody was like what is the defining artist of the 60s to kind of like pick or at least narrow it down to like two or three yeah yeah or like the 80s yeah the 80s the same way doesn't it kind of seem that way but like what would what would you if somebody was like what's the one artist that sums up the 70s like who would you pick the 70s really do like i i really thought about this like with my list and everything you know like i picked black sabbath because it like sort of starts the doom thing some of the other records i i have like kind of start other things uh you know bitches brew kind of starts jazz fusion it's sort of like the 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 year the uh decade um and even the year that like things sort of like go from being like one general you know kind of thing to like really like spreading out and us getting like just so many like different genres and and styles and and everything you know so yeah i think i think you're right it is sort of i mean you know it's easy to say like led zeppelin or something but like that's really not that like entirely representative of of the decade you know just the most famous band yeah you have like a soul explosion you have disco you have punk you know Mm -hmm. you have like soft rock you have hard rock you know like i mean do you find this difficult darren could you yeah possibly even no yeah try to pick somebody i feel like this decade of all the surrounding decade i I feel like this decade alone kind of speaks to the subsequent decades like the 80s and 90s in ways that like the other decades don't speak to each other you know what i mean like and you you kind of laid it out there dan when you were just talking about like yeah start jazz punk hard rock and then you know so all these things kind of like pick up and then we see how they evolve into the 80s and the 90s but you can you know it's mm-hmm. so often we look back to the 70s as like the starting points or the the you know the seeds the you know godfathers of, of all of these different styles and you know the 60s obviously had a major influence as well but it's something about the 70s that just sort of seemed that you know there was so much like groundbreaking you know in in all yeah, sorts of yeah. different genres my thought was like I think you could pick Bowie because he like single-handedly represents several different styles of yeah. the 70s, you know what I mean? Cuz he's like changing all the time. But I think you could also this maybe maybe Daryl back me up on this. I I would pick like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams or something oh, like that. Cuz it's like go. a disco slash soft rock yeah. song and to me, it's like you get like the yuppie culture a little bit, but you also get like the kind of underground like dance culture and stuff. It's kind of, I don't know. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Um, but I wanted to add uh, just quickly before we move on about Curtis Mayfield. You know, to me, it's like it's really interesting that he's, you know, not um, the famous story is that he, he was just like not um, a trained musician at all. And he's just kind of like orchestrating this from his head in kind of like a genius sort of way. And it makes those like arrangements so um so unique i think you know what i mean like people call this like the um sergeant peppers of soul you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and it really is like it's pretty incredible because like you started the first track you've got this like psychedelic funk song with like wah guitars and like pretty strange production choices um him like screaming out bass like pretty like wild you know yeah yeah the way the way like it it gets like low pass filtered at the end of the song and it's like kind of just the bass line with like this distant like like apocalyptic like you know drone and and yet over the top of that is like the most ornate string section, like harps and like <laughs> violins and stuff. I mean, it's like, I, th- I think it's just a stunning, stunning record, but um, that'll be a little later on my list. I'll just mention the number when we get there. So we're on my number four now. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. Number four for me is Nick Drake's Brighter Later. Okay. That, that's another one that, that was in my five star list, but, but didn't make the cut. 
Oh, wow. We don't got a whole lot of overlap here, it doesn't seem. Yeah. Well, um, you know, for me, so I, we've talked about this before, but it's kind of like the other Nick Drake album. You know how I know mm-hmm. Dan is a fan of these kind of albums, <laughs> like uh, the uh, <laughs> the hipster pick in somebody's discography. And, uh, you know, and obviously with Nick Drake, what a discography it is. Just three perfect records. But um, <laughs> this is such a strange, strange record because it's like, you know, he he's basically i guess everybody knows the nick drake story but you know he's like trying to be successful right and he he puts out like five leaves left and it's like a weird very string heavy but also like very minimal acoustic guitar thing and it like completely flops so he gives it like kind of one more shot on brighter later before like just descending into pure depression um with pink moon obviously but this is like the poppiest, most produced, like l- most lush. You know, he he cited like Beach Boys Pet Sounds as a big inspiration. And I think the arrangements live up to that. We get like a, a bunch of uh, instrumental tracks that I think are so composed. Like his talent as a composer, like just cannot be overstated. But so it's like not really representative of him, but there's something so interesting about hearing his like sad, you know, troubadour, like lonely troubadour thing mixed with like pretty peppy joyous even like peaceful at Mm. times um like pop songs like jazz pop songs um and yet i I love how that kind of like especially if you read the lyrics but this kind of like sadness like sort of can't help but seep in like this sad outsider you know just looking at other people having a nice life and he just can't enjoy it um yeah, I mean, how do you feel about this record, Dan? Yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, he's got three records. They're all perfect. Um, I know it's the hipster, uh, you know, my my thing to pick the, you know, not famous one, but I am a Pink Moon guy, uh, you know, uh. the top. Um, so, you know, but, but I mean, a yeah. A bit of a normie there. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but um yeah i mean this record like what you said it, it is so great like i love yeah I, i've talked about it before with like like albums like uh of montreal's like hissing fauna i like that like when you take that like juxtaposition of like right. you know a really happy sounding thing with like just really you know depressing lyrics and stuff and um you know he i don't know if he does it on purpose here or if it just sort of like can't help but but seep in or or, or what but um yeah it's just great i mean it's just such a shame that you know he he didn't see uh any fame you know in, in his actual lifetime you know that that it's all you know posthumous and whatnot but i mean he's he's just like an amazing uh songwriter and an amazing talent and uh i i really love the the album cover of, uh, of this yeah, uh, record yeah. it's, it's like so weird like why are his shoes off <laughs> but, <laughs> right um you know it's just such a great like record guy it's, it's one of my favorite covers i think actually Oh yeah. On that note, I wanted to just give a little disclaimer that, um, we talked about, um, we talked about, uh, Darren cheating with let it be earlier, but this is like really cheating. It turns out, um, because I, I did not know this because I, every source I, I consult considers this like an album from 1970, but he sent out like promotional copies to the press in November of 1970, decided at the last minute he was unhappy with the album art. I don't know what the deal was with it before. Maybe he had his uh, shoes on and it, in that one. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't actually released to the public until like January of 1971. So oh, I didn't it was too that. late. Well, that's <laughs> it was too Wiki- late for Wikipedia me to, uh, says March of 1971. Yeah, so. Oh yeah, March, yeah. Of, March of 1971. Yeah, but I mean, it's like all music listed as a 1970 album. Rate your music listed as a 1970 album. Yeah, I saw it on I've Rate Your Music. Of it. Yeah. I've always thought of it as a 1970 album, like my whole life, but uh, 
Uh, Turns out I'm sort of wrong. <laughs> another thing I never knew. I'm I'm like looking at the Wikipedia right now. Uh, John Cale is on this record. Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah. I, he, I uh, never knew that. Assists on on two tracks, which is a uh, which are actually yeah. really 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 cool tracks. Um, Fly in Northern Sky. Huh. Yeah. What do you uh What do you uh make of this record, Nick Drake in general, Darren? Yeah. To be perfectly honest, I have never listened to this record. Um, wow. Oh, yeah. Man. Well, I mean, take a, forty I'm minutes. Huge... We'll pause the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a huge Pink Moon fan. Like, I, I love, love, love that album, but I have never explored either of his other two. Beyond that? No. Really? Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, it is two other records you would have to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, where you're, do uh, I start? For, for a, a, treat, a treat, then, because, um, you know, yeah, like I said, two or three total perfect albums. Um, I want to ask a quick question. You know, speaking of like definitive artists of the '70s and stuff, I mean, would you consider Nick Drake like a definitive artist of this era? And how, if so, how is that possible? Given that he made no cultural impact whatsoever in the actual '70s, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I would maybe say no because of that. You know, it's it, it's not like um, I I think when you think of like the, just the normal kind of person, not not the like obsessive music fan or whatever. You know, Nick Drake's not like he's still not like super famous, you know, like your grandma doesn't know who Nick Drake is probably. Um, So, I mean, he definitely had like a a big impact, but I I mean, it doesn't come until so much later. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to like, uh, but he like fits in kind of, you know, kind of soft jazzy folk thing. Like was really, really, I don't, I actually don't even understand why he wasn't successful, but I mean, what, what do you think about that question, Darren? It's a, it's an interesting one, you know. I I it I don't know. I don't think I could call him like a definitive. I mean, he he had he had he obviously has a huge impact like afterwards, right? And you know, influential right. in, in everything. Um, so I guess in that regard, I mean, you kind of have to. He's got to be in the conversation somewhere. You couldn't just ignore him if you're talking about the '70s in general. Um, and I think you know, and I think that's fair because like. You know, who cares if he wasn't, like, famous, like, right as his music was, you know, coming out. People just didn't realize, right? Or not enough people realized that what he had was, was really good. So even if it's after the fact, I mean, it's still of the time period. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it seems to me like the the general trajectory here, the afterlife of Nick Drake, if you will, is that, um, like, by the 80s, he was becoming, like, kind of an underground cool thing. You know, mm-hmm. like, you had to be cool to know him. and he seems to be like kind of influential on artists like REM and stuff like that. Um, and then by the nineties, like everybody who's cool knows him. So like Elliot Smith and stuff, obviously right. hugely inspired bell and Sebastian. If you love bell and Sebastian, as I know you do, Darren, um, yep. this album in particular, yeah. brighter later is like the blueprint for bell and Sebastian. Hmm. Um, but, and then it's like, <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember this, but Pink Moon is in like a Nissan commercial in like the year 2001 or two that. or something. Yep. Oh, man. And, and uh, that, that I think is when he's officially <laughs> a mainstream, like popular, like he's actually, you know, he's like inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame kind of a level. But, um, but yeah, I think he made pretty much no impact in the 70s, which I, I just think is very, very fascinating. Um, okay, we're on to Dan, your number three. Yeah, number three for me, and this one just just eked into the 70s. It's uh, like two weeks before uh, 1970 ends. Uh, John Lennon, Plastic Ono Band. The okay. the best Beatles solo record. Uh, 
bar none. Um, I, I mean, th- this is this is such a a, a rad record. It, it, it's it, it's kind of got like a, a little proto punk kind of feel to it, you know. Like there there's some there's some distortion um, and, and you know screaming and, and whatnot. Um, it's an obvious classic. I mean, it's better than Let It Be. You know, it's better than the the, the Beatles. You know, record of of this year. Uh, better than the McCartney record as well. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it just I, I again like I, I think most of the records I, I pick like really you know foreshadow uh, what what's to come in, in later music and then like we just discussed. You know that I feel like is such a like quintessential thing of the 1970s and um you know here i just i I think we're getting it even more i mean things like isolation um uh i found out you know like the the guitar the yelling on that is just like you know very very like sort of proto-punk and uh and and, and proto like hard rock and everything um just a fantastic record yeah did this by chance make your list aaron it actually did and it's it's actually number three as well number three okay all right so why why did you include it darren yeah so you know i i honestly think that and you know maybe we will talk about george harrison or not i don't know but you know all the beatles i think coming out of like the you know the band breaking up you know, you when you look back at the history and you read up and you kind of get a good understanding of what's going on towards the end, like, you know, there's this feeling that, like, there's a lot of creative energy happening, like, separately from each other, but, like, mm-hmm. they're not bringing it to the table to the for the band, right? There's just, you know, you could just tell. And, like, you know, we talk about this, like, the, the White Album, like, their identities, like, are becoming very, very, like, unique and, like, siloed, right? And so... You know, it's almost like the moment the band broke up, it's just like this, you know, release of all of that creative energy, like where John is able to just kind of do what he wanted to do. And, you know, I I think you get him at his very best right here where he kind of unleashes all of these like songs that just, you know, it's always it's always fun to listen to because you're like, could this have been a Beatles record? What, you know, would would the other Beatles have brought anything to any of these songs? And, you know, it's fun to like play and, and consider that. But. I think ultimately it, it comes down to like, probably not. Right. I think that, you know, it, these songs are best left as like solo John Lennon and just letting him kind of, you know, unleash whatever, you know, creative energy he was kind of heading down towards, you know, um, so many like wonderful songs here, like really, really great songs. And and I, I think that they sort of stand out in not as like a, this is John Lennon of the Beatles. It's just John Lennon. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. it's kind of hard for you to describe, but like, I just, yeah, like, I, I think no. he really defines himself with this record, you know? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I think like this, and, and I think it's the reason why I think it's the best uh, Beatles solo record is like, I really, none of these songs do I really feel like would be good Beatles songs, you know, like, like you said, they're good John Lennon songs. Whereas like, um, I, and I, I love all things must pass, but like a lot mm-hmm. of those songs, you you could sort of tell that they are like songs that the Beatles just, you know, didn't take from George yeah. or, or something, you know, like they right. had, they gone on a little bit could... longer, you know, they would have been George's like contributions. probably. Ex- exactly. You know? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. You're getting like the next couple years that, you know, that don't happen of the Beatles like there. But, um, I, I feel like here, I, I can't really think, you know, maybe one or two, you could maybe make Beatles songs, but I, I just, I, I think they would be so, uh, different that they, that they wouldn't be as, as good as they are here. 
I do, I do agree with that. Um, I, I had a weird experience because I, I gave this album a listen because I thought it had a good shot at making my list and it ultimately didn't. Um, I, it used to be like just one of my favorite albums like ever. And I hadn't listened to it in a long, long time, honestly. And I was like kind of underwhelmed returning to it because it's got this like kind of fantastic rawness, this like sparseness to it. Um, and yet what's being put, I think front and center is kind of like John Lennon, the figure and that kind of like righteous indignation of his is like a lot was a lot more compelling to me when I was younger. You know, um, I, I saw the the funniest thing on Rear Your Music, which like I'll paraphrase, but somebody was like sort of writing, um, you know, basically like if John Lennon had lived, then he would like he- be headlining Coachella, you know, like two years ago and he would perform God and be like, I don't believe in Brexit. I don't believe in Trump and the crowd would erupt in cheers, you know, and it would be the cringiest, shittiest thing you've ever heard. And I was like, that is so spot on. Like, that is just like, that is so accurate. And to me, that kind of sums up the slightly cringy aspect I had while listening to this. Do you guys feel that at all? I mean, now I do. (laughs) Thanks for ruining John Lennon for me. (laughs) Yeah, when I when I came back to this record, I I mean I I admit I kind of like felt differently about it, but you know, there was also like a nostalgia factor, like an, you know, that I too was like really in love with this record um a long ago and it is a different ex- listening experience now, but to me that didn't, you know, take enough away for me to like want to remove it from my list or something. You know what I mean? Like there's still some really great, really really great songs here and I think just Again, considering the background story and, and John Lennon, who he is, like I, I think that this is like an important record for him for the seventies, you know, for music in general. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I I still listen to this record like fairly, you know, every now and then, you know, it, it's it's like a, a record we'll, we'll play in the car or something, you know. Uh, I, I I've never felt like um, it, it's lost much luster. I mean, when when I was like a kid, uh, you know, John Lennon was like. My, my hero or whatever and now right, right. you know it's less so I, I mean i still like him but you know you're right that he does have like some some cringy you know sort of adolescent like uh <laughs> I, ideals and everything you know but um i i, I mean i i still love the record I, I like i said i think it's the best beatles uh solo uh by far yeah let me just ask a quick philosophical question just to get a sense of your guys personal take on this but like I often find myself wondering, especially like in a case like this, like was because it doesn't move me as much anymore. Was I wrong before or was it just like, you know what I mean? Was it just like, no, I like that shouldn't detract from it that a 30 year old doesn't isn't moved by this. You know what I'm saying? I think some things you can you can either like play so much that that like you do you lose that like feeling about it. And I don't think that like detracts, but I do think that like sometimes when, when it is like, I think what you, what you mean, you know, where the, the message doesn't move you anymore. I, I think that maybe it, it does mean you were wrong. Um, You know, I mean, when I was like 
11 i thought corn was like the greatest band you know and like <laughs> right, right. <laughs> i I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure i was wrong you know so i i, I yeah I, I guess you could say you you were you were wrong you you could you could you could chalk it up to uh you know immaturity or, or whatnot yeah i mean how do you because it's like how do you approach this darren like when you're whatever you like when you're like 85 will be proven to be the actually good records. Yeah. yeah. Cause it, it managed to survive this long. With me. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, we talk about this a lot, right? Cause we, we had this conversation when we talked about Nirvana, right? We all had this mm-hmm. nostalgia for Nirvana, but we all kind of agreed that it's just not the same. Listen, yeah. Listening experience. We don't worship Kurt Cobain. We don't, you know, fantasize about, his death or anything anymore and like we look at it from a totally different lens but that doesn't change the fact that the music had a great impact on on us at one point and and then when we talked about like joy division and i talked about how i feel like i just missed the boat on that and it never it just never connected with me um i you know that does that make me wrong or does it you know does it truly just mean that i may have just missed the real time period that this would have fit in my life i think it's more so that you know and i think the reason why I put this on my list, because I, I kind of had a similar experience to you, Gabe, when I re-listened to it. I was like, man, I don't, this record is like, okay, but like, why, why don't I love it like I used to? And, you know, I still felt strongly about like, you know, how I felt about it before, the importance of it, and that's why it made my list. So, you know, I don't think it's necessarily that I was, that we were wrong. It's just that, you know, certain albums, you know, grow with you right they speak to you in a different uh, way and sometimes that's like oh it's a way that it opens up the record even further for you and there's probably other records where that kind of just closes and you move on you know what i mean yeah yeah it's a it is a tough thing the last thing i want to mention on this though is that i want to compliment john lennon after having disparaged him. Um, <laughs> you know how he, i'm always like fascinated by it. you know how he started kind of like working with phil Spector like before he had even officially left the beatles and stuff like that like yeah he was cutting tracks um and he was like really into just like straight up first take, like no overdubs kind of a thing, you know, and you get that like real raw sparseness on this record. Um, and I just feel like he was like, I feel like Neil Young did that. You know what I mean? Like that was Neil Young's MO and Neil Young is one of these defining artists of the seventies in my mind. And I feel like, you know, we talk about this sometimes where it's like, I feel like Lennon was stumbling upon the sound of the seventies. You know what I mean? Like he was just that forward thinking the same way. Like, we talked about Dylan kind of like yeah. searching for a punk spirit with the, you know, that um, Rolling Thunder tour and everything. Yeah. Rolling Thunder tour and stuff. And like, you know what I mean? That's kind of, it's actually kind of crazy that he was like in the late sixties was kind of like already looking ahead to, I think what was going to partly define the seventies. Yeah. I mean that, that, that's like I said, one of the reasons I picked it, you know, I think that this is like one of those, and, and I don't think it gets brought up as being one very much, but I, 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 I really sense like a, uh, you know, proto punk spirit, uh, yeah. on this record. Yeah. I, I, I concur with that. So that was your number three, Dan. That was also your number three, Darren. Right. And then my number three was Curtis Mayfield's Curtis. And okay, we already nice. talked about that. So we can move right on to Dan's number two. All right. I think I'm going to spoil your number one, Gabe. Uh, I went uh, Velvet Underground Loaded. Actually, it's my number two. Oh. Ooh. Then you've changed because uh, remember, <laughs> yeah, yeah. remember in the old podcast. Well, my earlier self was uh, was wrong. Yeah. Remember in the old <laughs> podcast, uh, once we got to like numbers that were high enough, we, w- we would say, you know, episode 70, what's our favorite uh, record of that year? And and believe it or not, that uh, when I cut up that Fiona wow. Apple uh, episode... That was episode 70, 
And so oh, I heard interesting. you had picked <laughs> wow. uh, Loaded. Um, honestly, I don't remember what you had picked, Darren. Um, so you changed, uh, but uh, good, good. I'm glad I didn't spoil because I did. <laughs> I did honestly feel bad that I would take the wind out of your sails here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'll talk about the rugger now. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I picked this because I mean, it's the it's the Velvet Underground. You know, I- any year that that the Velvet Underground releases a record, it, it's either the best record of the year or it's it's the second best. You know, um. It's just it's just crazy, like you know how 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 much good stuff they have, and like how how much really like the styles change on on records. I think I think when a lot of people think of Velvet Underground, you know, you think of like um, the first record, and and that like really sort of you know proto punk kind of thing. Whereas this is like really not that, you know. I mean, you've got Who Loves the Sun that opens it up, which is like this like really sweet kind of you know ditty. And then you know you've yeah. got you got Sweet Jane and Rock and Roll, which are just like, you know, seventies rock songs. Um, you know, I I think it just really shows that like the the the, the breadth of uh, Lou Reed and and the rest of the Velvet Underground, and and that they weren't just this like you know kind of kind of punk band. Uh, and I think right here is a display of of why they are uh, you know one of the greatest bands of all time. Yeah, it's there's something so fascinating about the Velvet Underground, obviously, but but in the sense that they change so much, like you mentioned, from album to album, and just like the idea of what the Velvet Underground is seems to be like this very nebulous thing because John Cale only lasts two albums, mm-hmm. right? And you think of him as like a, a you know core component, but only two albums. Um, by the time we get here, it's like Doug Yule. Yeah. It was like kind of a side man on the third album has like is doing a lot of the heavy lifting, including like a number of lead vocals, which a lot of people hate. And I don't understand why. Um, uh, Maureen Tucker isn't even on playing drums on this album. It's got like a much more traditional, you know, rock and drum sound. So it's like, you know, you could kind of be like, is Lou Reed just the Velvet Underground? And yet nobody would try to argue that like Transformer is a Velvet Underground album. You know what yeah, I mean? Like exactly. it seems like something, something very different there. Um, so it's just weird to me how, like, you know, I was reading like Rate Your Music and I was looking at a lot of people like bitching about how this is like a compromised version of the Velvet Underground. And I was thinking, like, when were they not compromised? Like, Andy Warhol forced them yeah, to put Nico in the yeah. band on their fucking first album. Like, they were never the band that you wanted to, like, that they wanted to be ever. It was constantly changing. Um, and yeah, it's just like such a fascinating, I guess I should mention the backstory, even though probably everybody knows it, but they signed to Atlantic. And the label requests an album, quote, loaded with hits. So they make this album <laughs> loaded and make it like actually very radio friendly. And the whole thing has this like very kind of smart ass quality to it. It's not like quite Devo where they're like totally satirizing what they're actually doing. You know what I mean? But it's like they're going for it, but there's a smart assness to it. Which yeah, is like, like rock and roll, I think, is where yeah, it's most yeah. obvious. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, a okay, you want to, you know, what, what what what's a hit? A song about rock and roll? Okay, here you go. You know, and like, there's other stuff like, you know, I Found a Reason has like a bunch of masturbation jokes in it, you yeah, know, like yeah. walking hand in hand with myself, you know, um, come, come, come to me. Very hilarious. Um, Who Loves the Sun is like, you know, it sounds like a 60s pop song that should be about loving sunshine, but it's about the opposite. Um, and yet, you know. You get what I'm saying, Dan, that like they're actually it's not like he's totally pissed off, even though he does seem to have gotten sick of it because he like quit the band before the album was even completely done. Um, but 
he's actually committing to the idea of making a hit record, which is crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is, it, 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 you know, he's not going full Devo or whatever. Uh, it, it is, it is like pretty odd that he, he like, it's almost, it's almost begrudgingly doing it, but like, yeah, even like a challenge it, or something. He was like, okay, yeah, yeah, all right. yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, is it even a, you know, begrudgment? Um, and I mean, I think he's like completely successful, um, which, which is crazy. You know, I, I, I think if you, if you you know, we're alive when the first record comes out and you said, you know, this band's going to make there, someone's going to dare them to make a, an album loaded with hits and they're going to do it. Uh, you'd be <laughs> yeah. like, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I right. mean, especially after, you know, white light, white heat or something. Um, but I mean, by God, they did it. I assume yeah, squeeze uh, is, is just as good. I've never, I've never made it. Yeah. <laughs> Still have never listened to squeeze. I'll um, never do it. What is your relationship with the, with this album, Darren? Well, it's actually my number one pick. Um, oh, really? so I spoiled yeah. your number one. Damn. Yeah. What a twist. I, I what sat words. here quietly waiting for an opportunity to say that. So thanks Damn. for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I got to go back and listen to that episode I cut up because I cut it up like a month ago and I just happened to remember mine and, and Gabe's. I don't think you picked this, but maybe I'm I don't wrong. think I did. I don't, I don't think, think I did. you did. I, I got I to go back. I got to go back. <laughs> Um, I should mention that on my first draft, this was number one, and then some things got shifted around there. Okay. All right. Go ahead, Darren. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think what really convinced me that this needed to be number one was when I returned to it, right? So it, you know, it's been a little while since I've listened to any of these records. It's just, I don't know, whatever. And like, yeah. as I was going through, you know, there were definitely times where I was like, man, this is kind of a drag move on move on move on you know what i mean um right, right. you know even listening to the records i did pick on this i was like all right i've listened to you know curtis enough you know like how much yeah. more can i take um but when i listened to loaded i was like this shit slaps like all the way through you know what i mean like this is like yeah. it was like you know it's like one of those moments where you um I don't know, you just suddenly fall back in love with something again like you you already loved it before i've loved this record you know it, i've i've probably historically said it's not my favorite you know velvet underground record obviously but i've definitely kind of gone through different um obsessions with this and it coming back to this i was like getting obsessed with it again you know what i mean and that's yeah as soon as i felt that i was like oh this is this is the number one for me like no doubt about it like all the way through this record like i just kept coming back and like repeat repeat because it was just i don't know it's it's weird because it's like like you guys have been describing it's it's such a it's a strange you know it's just another velvet underground record it's just changing like they change with every record basically um so it's hardly it's it it would be weird to just say it's a complete departure because it's kind of like what their mo is to just do different things you know um it's also interesting to listen to the live versions of a lot of these songs like on the matrix tape set and hear how velvet undergroundy they can be actually become yeah you know i mean like mm-hmm. they actually fit in perfectly alongside of like i'm waiting for the man and stuff like that um sister ray even like you know sweet jane going right into sister ray you're like it's of a piece you can't hear it as much when you listen to this record but it is there at the core you know well and the cool the coolest thing i i find about like a song like sweet jane and rock and roll which you would describe as like you know, which would seem like maybe like mainstream rock and roll songs. They're just, they're done so like differently, you know what I mean? And it's really like Lou Reed's sort of like, sort of like lazy, like 
sloppy style of singing and you know yeah just not being that like macho rock and roll singer over the rock and roll song you know what i mean he kind of like takes it and turns it on his on its head and that's what makes it so refreshing to listen to you know what i mean like if you are listening to like robert plant over and over again and then you come to like (laughs) lou reed it's like his take is just totally like twisted you know what i mean and i I love it every time yeah yeah that's true and i I do think you know like yeah, I had a similar experience to you, honestly, revisiting it because it was like it's another album that I think you could describe as top heavy, even though it ends like with a real bang with Oh Sweet Nothing. But um, you know, it's got like kind of the, all the all the big ones are are right up top there on the A side. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the, you know, like rate your music track scores, and you know, those are all bolded, and then like the second half is pretty low, and then like even like Lonesome Cowboy Bill has a really low rating. Everybody seems to hate that song for some reason. Such a cool song. And I was like, Yeah, I love that song. It's weird. And I, I got to Lonesome Cowboy Bill just while kind of like glancing at the radio music, and I was like, What are they talking about? The song is fucking awesome. Like it, it's it's just like every song is an absolute knockout. And I was just like I was kind of like blown away by how good even the songs that I forgot were good are. Um some Questions. Okay, so one thing that this made me think of is like, is there something unique about Lou Reed that made this thing work, this idea work? Because part of me thinks like it would be really fun to hear every like weird underground band for a lark make like a hit album. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. what would that sound like? How come, you know, and yeah, a lot of bands actually do do that. You know what I mean? As they sort of quote unquote sell out. So, do you agree that you would like to hear more sort of underground bands try that um for fun why does it not seem to work out as well as it did for the velvet underground here yeah i mean when you say that you know that that's basically uh, you know on paper sound sounds like a bad idea you know like when, when <laughs> you know it i think if i if i knew that story before i heard this record the first time i you know i would have like been a little reticent coming into it in, in all uh, um yeah i mean i think it just really speaks to him uh being such like a a great songwriter but but then i mean what you said earlier too is, is odd too because you can't it's not like a band where you can say like oh well he is the velvet underground because you're right i i transformer doesn't sound like a velvet underground record and i mean you know john kale is such like a um you know big part even though he's he's only on two records and right you know it it is it it is like such a strange uh thing i mean have, have you ever listened to like you know like transformers lose second record have you ever listened to like the self-titled like Lou Reed no I haven't actually well it, it you'll know a lot of the songs because they like the Velvet Underground played them live and and that like ah. that record does sort of seem like a loaded part two kind of thing it, it, it seems like the scraps of loaded um ah. done just by Lou but when when you when you listen to like that record and then you listen to something like the Matrix uh tapes um where a lot of them like uh Ocean is on there and uh yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember if it's been a long time since I listened <laughs> to that record but um you know like those ones do seem like you know just just leftovers and, and it, it kind of feels like like if that was like um you know his only record you you would see you i think you would think like oh you know he is the velvet underground or something but i mean yeah transformer i mean what a, what a good name i guess but <laughs> you know it just like really i don't know it throws a wrench in that i think i got off the topic of your question <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean what do you think darren like you know of like you know that question like because i think about like okay like animal collective like 
it would be really cool to like hear them actually just try to make a hit record and yet actually that would be really uncool and would suck complete ass i'm pretty sure you know what i mean yeah yeah and i I think it's because the worry is like whether or not they would try to you know they would try so hard to make a you know a good pop record that they sort of like lose their own identity in it you know what i mean and i think we see that in bands that we always talk about this right we look at like arcade fire as an example of you know going down the road of like adding synthesizers or just like sort of like you know robbing themselves of what really made them cool to begin with right so again i go back to like like compare like led zeppelin's rock and roll to you know the velvet (laughs) underground's rock and roll yeah you know what i mean that's a good that's a good (laughs) thing it's lou it's lou reed's take in in his sort of just like you know mannerism and the way he sings and you know it just it, it just you know it's just totally different right and it, it you could it could have totally been a totally di- a different way i guess it could it could have been like a robert plant type of song you know but yeah i i think lou reed has a, a big part in in it you know yeah is there is there anything also to say for the fact that when i listen to this like sweet jane and rock and roll in particular it just sounds like so fm radio to me you know mm-hmm. and yet is that kind of like anachronistic because did that fm radio 70s rock sound even fully exist yet when this came out you know what i'm saying it's right. like maybe it's less that they just shamelessly tried to ape what was popular and more were like this will be a hit you know i'll try to make a hit basically you know what i mean it's not like they were trying to copy what else was out there they made something like very unique yeah yeah that's a good that's a good point i i honestly i don't i don't think i know the answer yeah no i just i just, I, I, I don't know what they would be copying really yeah i think you're onto something there like just sort of you know it's almost like they set the standard or they established <laughs> you know they broke the new ground for you know mainstream pop and maybe that's why lou reed takes it in like a his own direction in in a sense like with the vocals and 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 everything you know maybe it's because because you know maybe it's because of that you know instead of trying to copy somebody else that is already out there he's just like well you know we'll just we'll just do our own we'll just do it on our own and it makes something that we think would be yeah hit, yeah you know and it works yeah i feel like in retrospect it sounds like they kind of just blended into the 70s sound but I, sure. I feel like it wasn't fully formed yet um Okay, so that was your number two, Dan, my number two, Darren's number one. So I guess we are technically back to Dan's number one. Well, no, it's Darren's number two. Oh, yeah. You're number two. <laughs> yeah. <Just> skip it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so my number two was Zeppelin three. <laughs> oh, my God. I cannot oh, believe man. it. Yeah. I cannot yeah. believe it. Yeah. I knew it was coming. So- I thought that was going to be your number one, honestly. Um, you know, probably at the start of this, I was thinking it was going to be as well. Um, so the, you know, this record is, is so interesting because, (laughs) you know, back in the day, my, you know, when I was really listening to a lot of dad rock and when I got, you know, very obsessed with, with Led Zeppelin, you know, I think Zeppelin three was probably the one record that I just didn't spend as much time with it, you know, because it just lacked a lot of that hard rock, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) you get like immigrant song, of course, but there's a lot of like acoustic guitars on this, on this record. And, you know, at the time I just, you know, was just like, man, where's the, where's the stairway, man? Where's stairway to heaven? Like, where's the, you know, (laughs) the crazy solos and stuff. And I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of that, but I, 
But this album became later on a record that I would come back to frequently. And it would be like the only like Zeppelin record I would like listen to at times just because, you know, the feel, the direction of it, like that, you know, there's a, a lot of like pared down, like slower, like acoustic ballady like songs or whatever. Um, very different than like Zeppelin one and two, you know what I mean? Um, right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if I remember their story correctly, like that was sort of the, the the direction they initially wanted to go in, or they really wanted to explore this like twelve string acoustic stuff, all of that. And then it wasn't like received all that well. So then that's when they came back with like Zeppelin Four and just like you know rocked your socks off or whatever. <laughs> um, but to me, this is such a cool. This is still such a cool record to come back to and and discover new things. Like it. it it didn't really prompt me to listen to a whole lot of other Zeppelin records, which is again, why it sort of stands out in their catalog for me as something that's right, just sort of right. very different than the rest of their work. It, it does like stand out. It, it It is like different. Like you said, you know, you, you kind of really just get like one real hard rocker and then everything, you know, or uh, much of everything else is, is lower key, which, which is nice. You know, it, it, it's, I, I think, I think people always sort of like, talk about zeppelin changing after like four you know with like houses of the holy and then you know even more mm-hmm. later on but I, I i think that does sell this record a, a little short you know they they, they sort of like d- experimented with that right here um it is a good record uh, i you know obviously didn't didn't make my list um but it, it i i think it's i think it's definitely like the most underrated of those first four uh you know For self-titled sure. zeppelin records i mean th- there's there's some great stuff on here i mean i love gallows pole um uh, i i don't know how to say it but like bron yr stomp like that that's <laughs> yeah. such a good song you know i mean i, I it really is like under underappreciated i think yeah i mean it's 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 a weird one which gives it that kind of like the other led zeppelin album quality that you know i was talking about with nick drake and yeah. everything and sure um and i do like that about it because it, it makes it feel like i feel the same way about nick drake's brighter later for uh for one thing it's like Every time you revisit it, it feels like a kind of new discovery in a way, like you didn't spend enough time with it. But, <clears throat> but I, you know, I revisited it this week and I, I guess the problem is like the reason it feels like a new discovery cause, is because it maybe doesn't really make sense as a record at all. You know what I mean? It's kind of like just having Immigrant Song at the start is just like, it just makes <laughs> no fucking sense. Like, yeah, I, I can't, I don't understand why. And then like, you know, Since I've Been Loving You is like such a epic like blues just destroys everything in its path love the song but it's like i don't know what it's doing here really you know what i mean and like it's i don't know i always got the sense right with led zeppelin maybe they actually maybe through their whole career they were like just notorious for like they're touring all the time and can never write enough songs to like fill a record you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so they're like always just dumping shit like on led zeppelin too they're like you know, throwing in a couple covers and stuff because they were like touring too much. And like on this one, it seems like it's some of this like hats off to Roy Harper is just like, you know, not like a nothing song to just kind of fill it out. And like the it's like a little bit of a half finished idea. Um, Physical graffiti. They just like padded out the second disc with some mm-hmm. stuff they had left over. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wouldn't you agree? I mean, I guess do you think it hurts this record or it makes it more interesting somehow. I mean, I think it makes it more interesting. You know, it's always interesting when a band tries to, you know, stretch out and experiment a little bit, you know, um, after two very, like, 
hard rocking records from Led Zeppelin. They obviously had established themselves as a, you know, hard rock, electric guitar um, type of band. And for them to sort of deviate from that in what I feel like is, you know, fairly dramatic way. Like, I get it. Like, Immigrant Song and Since I've Been Loving You are probably only there because they felt like they needed something to relate to, like, Zeppelin 1 and 2, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, records like this, especially when it comes to, like, classic rock records, you know, I hardly consider the sequencing or the overarching story, you know what I mean? Um, (laughs) Because there's there's usually nothing like that, right? It's just kind of, you take each song for what it is. But the feel of the record, I, I still feel like the theme of, like, you know, relying on acoustic guitars and like letting Jimmy Page sort of um, flex a bit of what he can do with with that guitar rather than like just relying on like blistering guitar solos um, is just really cool. And, and I think it's also a place that like Robert Plant as a singer and a songwriter felt the most comfortable. You know, you see this you see this theme follow up on Zeppelin four, right, with like. I can't think of the yeah. song at the moment, but there's definitely going a to California. Yeah, that, yes, yes. Battle of Evermore. Yes, there's. Yes, that was the one. Battle of Evermore. You know what? Honestly, yeah. actually, now that you, now that you mentioned this, it's actually a really good point that I hadn't thought of before. Because I think nobody, like nobody, since whatever 1970, I don't know, four or five, ha- listened to this album before, like Zeppelin Four. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like nobody starts here. Right. Um, and if you were alive at the time, it would seem like a really incredible flex that this like hard rock band was suddenly showing their chops at, you know, this kind of like acoustic side and this mm-hmm. like more folky side and stuff. Um, my experience was always like, oh, I see they're doing a bunch of going to California's on this one. You know what I mean? Like, and that's actually, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's actually really wrong uh, to think of it that way. And I do think it's a little bit of a concession that they're like, all right, let's give them a little bit of what we know they like with like immigrant song and stuff, but then we'll kind of like show them this other side of us. And it actually does make, you know what I mean? It would probably actually sound like pretty radical if you were just listening to this straight after two. You know what I mean, Dan? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I almost even feel like immigrant song is something that like, and, and I don't know this at all, but, but like the record label, you know, was like, we got to have, you know, we got to have the hard rocker on, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, and maybe that's why it's up front and stuff, you know, like, cause it does seem sort of out of place since I've been loving you same kind of way. And I mean, honestly, that, that's a song I, I could see being the same sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely. I, I agree with you. All right. So that means we've just got Dan and my number ones to get to. Dan, what is your number one? My number one, The Stooges Fun House. Uh, how did I know? Yeah. How did you know? Th- this is honestly, this is my third favorite record of all time uh, of, <laughs> of any year. Um, I, I love The Stooges. I love Iggy Pop. But, th- you know, I, I basically the theme of my list and everything so far has been, you know, like the proto whatever. And this, this is the proto-punk record you know it, it's really yeah. like it's insane i'm glad that there's a song on this record called 1970 to, to, to remind you uh that, that, <laughs> that, that, that this comes out in 1970 you know it's just so early like this is going on the same time as led zeppelin the you know the beatles just broke up and we're already uh, <laughs> right you know we're already getting whatever tvi is and everything this is just like right. a, a record that like kicks your ass from from start to finish that like from that 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 stretch from 1970 to la blues um when steve mckay like starts coming in with the the 
just wailing free jazz uh saxon o- over you know um uh. this and i i love the way the, the the record's recorded like the you know the the band they they tried to get them to record how you're supposed to you know like um you know baffling uh you know isolating each instrument and everything and it just sounded like shit so they said fuck it iggy's running around the room uh <laughs> singing you, you know you you can he gets picked up on like some of the drum mics sometimes you, um the you, the you can hear the the bass guitar like um fucking with the snare drum you know it's just like it's not recorded yeah. like an album in 1970 is recorded you know it, it it's I, I think it like um not only foreshadows punk but it foreshadows like you know lo-fi record recording and just like that that sort of like do it yourself kind of thing even though this was in a studio and uh, i mean this is the last uh record with the original stooges you know dave alexander uh is booted from the band um a couple months after this record um then goes on to die um you know, I mean, I, I, I absolutely love this record so much. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just I guess I just got to admit that it's like the Stooges have not really like ever clicked for me. It's like I've Man. listened to them a lot. I think I think this is like a it's a really cool record. And you're right. It's like a complete anomaly that it even exists um, like a small miracle. Um, but it is like r- just relentless. It is like a firestorm like the whole time. And <clears throat> I don't know, you know, it just kind of like tires me out um, a little bit. It's like weird though. I, I just like, I very much love Iggy Pop's like, you know, famous solo records and stuff, but like the Stooges and actually for some weird reason, I like the first Stooges record more than any of the others. Um, <laughs> and I think it's because the production is really weird. This is like actually just a straight up like punk album recorded in 1970. Um, exactly. Uh, so, I mean, you have any relationship with the Stooges, Darren? I unfortunately do not. I've never listened to this record, Dan. You, wow, I'm sorry. you gotta, you gotta give them a shot. I honestly feel like you would like it. Like they, they're they're rocking. Like there are some wicked guitar solos uh, on this record. Here. <laughs> you know, like I, I really this this in raw power. I think I think like truly could be up your alley. I, I, I think you would. I think you would dig it. Uh, it, and a, another thing that like speaks to this record being like such an anomaly in 1970, like it, it comes out. Uh, this is on Electra, which is just weird enough, you know. <laughs> it, it sells basically nothing, no no copies. Uh, the the record label drops them. It goes out of print for quite a while. Um, until like they become like sort of like until Iggy like kind of becomes you know quote unquote famous on on his own and stuff you know it just like it it truly was like too ahead of its time you know they had to like put it on the shelf and and bring it back out when when the world was ready for it you know yeah um I do I do want to mention that you know I mentioned last episode that I watched uh, Life Aquatic for the first time Mm -hmm. and uh in that movie when like uh Search and Destroy starts yeah, playing yeah. and like bill murray is just shooting everyone it's like <laughs> this is the best scene in the whole movie um okay so i'll get on to my number one which as i mentioned before you know it kind of worked its way up to number one to my surprise with revisits uh van morrison's moon dance mm, okay okay all right <laughs> it it's really just a perfect album it is very much like it's kind of like I think just kicking off the seventies soft rock thing, which I know is not like super cool. Um, but the record has this, you know, magical quality to it. So basically like Van Morrison makes, you know, he's, he's got his work with, uh, the band them. Um, 
and his own solo career starts off pretty well with this like brown eyed girl song but then he he makes astral weeks which as everybody knows is like a pretty strange like pretty quite experimental just like drawn out like folk kind of like weird weird thing just a really singular album uh really flops um even though now it's like considered a masterpiece um so he you know decides with moondance like actually try to be successful and um so i'm wondering actually what it says about me that on my list just without even thinking about it i ended up with brighter later the velvet underground's loaded and van morrison's moondance which is all three like kind of you know challenging underground artists attempting to break into the mainstream i don't know why that 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 <laughs> fascinates yeah. me so much <laughs> um also it's kind of funny that you've got you got rock and roll which we were talking about and then you've got caravan here where he's also like singing about the radio but you know van morrison actually loves the radio he's not making fun of <clears throat> rock music at all um but i think basically just to you know make it short and sweet it's kind of got like it's still got a touch of that like kind of warm troubadour magic of Astral Weeks, but it's got an in, like a hard injection of kind of like this feel good like Motown soul thing, a lot of horns here and stuff, and just like these kind of R and B grooves. It just makes me feel like like simultaneously like I'm listening to Astral Weeks and Sam Cooke, you know, like Bring It On Home to Me, like just that warm feeling or something, or like Otis Redding, you know, since I um. I've been loving you too long. Almost said since I've been loving you. Similar titles. Um, <laughs> but just kind of simultaneously. And it's just like every song is just like a perfect song. You could, if you're at, you know, just a heads up, if you're at any like barbecue or something, just put on any song on this album and it'll like, everybody will be feeling just fantastic. Um, <laughs> I yeah. feel like I'll have better luck with Darren here. Do you have any opinions on Van Morrison, maybe even this album? Yeah, I I like this album. I you know I have to say I haven't spent as much time with it as I did like Astral Re- Weeks. You know, um, I think uh, like Crazy Love is is probably just a major single. I think from Moondance, right? And yeah, uh, I wanted I, to ask: Do people play that at weddings? Yeah, yeah, they they do. They do quite a bit. I also yes. want to ask: Did they play Making of You um, from by Curtis Mayfield at, at like weddings? Mm, I don't think so. I don't really. I don't. I don't definitely don't hear that one. Um, I was like, man, that would be like a great like first dance song as, you know, Crazy Love. I was like feeling like I was listening to a lot of like 70s soft rock that would be good at, at weddings uh, <laughs> these past two weeks. We ought to do an episode like that, just like, a <laughs> yeah, wedding playlist or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I, like I said, I, you know, I've, I've listened to this record and I, I certainly like it. Um, it never really stuck with me as much as like Astral, Astral Weeks did though. All right. What's your opinion, Dan? Let's hear it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge Van Morrison fan. You know, like <laughs> I, I appreciate Astral Weeks. Uh, my, my wife actually uh, really likes Van Morrison. So I, I've heard more of him ah, than I care okay. to. Uh, in fact, like we always talk about what the episode's going to be. And uh, she was guessing my list and uh, she got it. Not in the right order, but she did get all the records. Um, but she she was looking at you know what came out in 1970. She was she was really hoping that somebody put Moondance on. So she's going to be happy that not only did you put it, but all you put it at number right. one. So you're nice. scoring yeah. points there. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I mean, I don't I don't have like a ton of um, you know like I hear this record in the car kind of thing. Uh, I, I've not spent like a lot of time uh, you know personally uh, with it. Uh, you know I've gone through it a, a handful, but you know I I, I don't super know it and honestly i didn't really think anybody put it on so i didn't listen to it this week (laughs) can i at least get you to admit that van morrison 
on a shit ton of coke performing caravan in the last waltz is the best part of that movie oh yeah that is pretty good yeah yeah i don't know if it's the best part because high kicking because bob dylan's in it but um you know it's pretty good (laughs) (laughs) absolutely amazing okay so that's our list maybe we could do like a quick recap dan what's your five through one yeah five uh black sabbath paranoid miles davis bitches brew john lennon plastic ono band velvet underground loaded and the stooges fun house darren number five the beatles let it be Number four, Curtis Mayfield, Curtis. Uh, number three, John Lennon, Plastic Ono Band. Number two, Led Zeppelin with Led Zeppelin three. And number one, The Velvet Underground, Loaded. And I got uh, Neil Young after the Gold Rush at number five, Nick Drake, Brighter Later, Curtis Mayfield, Curtis, The Velvet Underground, Loaded, and Van Morrison, Moondance. So any other honorable mentions that we didn't talk about? We had quite a, we didn't have like a ton of overlap here, I don't think. But any other honorable mentions just barely miss your list? Yeah, I mean, I I told you, I, I had, I what, the way I made this was I, I looked at what I had rated five stars in 1970 on Rate Your Music. I, I rate all the records I listened to. Um, uh, and I mean, that number, number one through four were pretty easy for me. You know, I, I basically knew that the, uh, those are all records that I like absolutely love. But number five was such a hard spot. I, I had Sid Barrett's Madcap Laughs on there for, for quite a while. Okay. Um, do do, we, do either of you know like eczema i think is how you say it um i think no. it was like a pretty mucor record for a while it, it's like this bahamian guy it's a it's freak folk uh it's just like such a crazy record i i absolutely love it um so th- ah. th- that almost made it uh, i love alice coltrane's uh fuck pata the el duad or, <laughs> or whatever uh with pharaoh sanders like uh you know that that's just such a uh. a, a great jazz record i mean black sabbath released their two best records this year so it was a little hard to uh, pick pick between those two um so yeah i mean that, that number five spot it, it was honestly like incredibly difficult uh for me yeah what uh, any honorable mentions for you darren and was it a hard list to make it was a bit of a difficult um list to make for sure you know i i, I do have to say that george harrison's all things must pass was was one that i had considered maybe thought i was was going to be on the list um, just didn't really seem to resonate with me. Um, kind yeah. of actually like, that, tired me out as I was like listening to it's it. It's too long. It's too long. Yeah. If it, if it was, if the, if he trimmed the fat, I think it would have been on my list. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I had spun Simon and Garfunkel's bridge over troubled water a few times. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would, I would kind of, I agree with you, uh, Dan. I, I think it was like really just the number five pick that was just kind of difficult. But the other four that I had in there were were definitely in there from the beginning. Yeah, I, I actually had a pretty easy time. It was like I quickly narrowed it down to like actual contenders, even though I revisited a bunch of stuff. And um, you know, one thing I was pretty sure that Simon and Garfunkel's "Bridge Over Trouble Water" would be on my list. I think if I made this list like a couple of years ago, it would have made it, but. That was another one that just didn't like hit me the same way it used to. Um, it also has a, it's got like an immigrant song problem where it's like the first track is so insanely different from the rec- yeah, entire right, record right. and like so overwhelming. Um, and then, you know, it's got like toward the end, it's got like that live version of Bye Bye Love. Um, yeah, very strange. Kind of odd. Um, I, but I, I do think it's a great record. Um, I mentioned Plastic on a band I thought would probably make my list, but didn't quite. Um, and I wanted to shout out Nico's Desert Shore. Yeah, that's um, a good one. Just an awesome, awesome record. But it's like a little, it's a little short and like, it's kind of got like, you know, it's like one track is like kind of a child singing 
a prelude to you know the full mm-hmm. song that's coming it's it's just like maybe not like the most fully fleshed out thing but it's it's pretty brilliant i want to ask actually quickly dan are you like a tim buckley fan at all no no i'm not i i feel like he's sort of a blunder i i've i've never really spent much time with him uh, yeah maybe we should do like an episode on him or something because basically he releases like two albums and i think you would really like them because he goes like full Scott Walker pretty much just in his short career. Um, and these two albums are like his two really experimental ones, Star Sailor and Lorca. And I just feel like if their powers were combined, it would be on my list. But it's like, you know what I mean? It's like hard when <laughs> yeah. you've got two like excellent records. And it's like, how do you kind of elevate one over the other? Blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, I wanted to shout those out. Um, so I just want to kind of save a little bit of time, even though we're running a little over already. but. Just thoughts on 1970 as a whole. One question I had is like, would you describe 1970 as a tr- transition year? Or do you feel like the 70s kind of started out fully formed? It's it sort of, I mean, I, I think it's almost fully formed, but but it's hard because like we were saying earlier, you know, it's sort of like you get all these seeds for like things that that come, which sort of makes it seem like a transition, like year and even sort of decade. But, but also like, those are sort of the things I think of when I think of the seventies. And I mean, in 1970, I've, you know, coming up with, with great examples of those. So it's kind of a tough question to answer, but I think, I think I lean towards a fully formed. Yeah. What do you think, Darren? I mean, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, could you, like the records on your list, if somebody told you like, oh, this is from 1969. Would you be like, no fucking way? I, yeah, I probably wouldn't say that. You know, I think that's, a, that's actually a pretty good point. However, you know, looking at our lists and looking at the sort of... Uh, I feel like we, we cover a, a pretty wide range of genres, a, a wide range of ground that is, is seemingly just being broken, right? I mean, we talked about, like, punk. We talked about soft rock, you know, all of these different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the reason why they're on our list is because they are fully formed, right? These are not like, ex, you know, totally experimental albums that like fall apart or, you know, don't quite, you know, hit the mark or, you know, I, I guess, I don't know, I'm looking at my list here and I'm thinking like, there's not necessarily a record, maybe, you know, Let It Be being one of them, maybe Loaded, where it's like, as you described, it gave us like the other record where that band has like better better records you know i mean some of the stuff here i think is among these artists very best you know and i think that speaks to the idea that like this was fully formed rather than just you know at the beginning right or a transition yeah there's elements of transition though there's no doubt about it yeah i mean it's probably true but i guess i was just sort of struck by like with my list in particular it's like like i mentioned velvet underground's loaded it's like this fm radio sound that I really don't think was a thing in the sixties and was going to be a huge thing in the seventies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Van Morrison's moon dance is like the same thing for like soft rock Curtis Mayfield's Curtis. Like I mentioned with like this kind of um, really progressive soul, like socially conscious soul that was going to just dominate the decade. Neil Young, obviously definitive sound of the decade. And like Nick Drake even has this like kind of jazzy pop thing going that like, you know, it makes you think of something like Joni Mitchell or something, which was just going to be, you know, she had already started, but she was going to be huge yeah. throughout the 70s. And I was just struck by, like, all of this stuff seems very forward looking and really is kind of like setting the stage for what was going to be a very different decade. But I mean, 
do you guys even agree with that? Like, do you think the seventies are substantially different from the sixties and how? Uh, yeah, I think they are, you know, like I, I think like the sixties, um, is a little bit more like homogenous, you know, you, you've got like, you got like rock and then you've got like, you know, sort of psychedelic rock, you know, but everything's sort of like based around this like rock, you know, kind of thing. And I, I think it's because, you know, like, there was such a limited uh, amount of, I mean, if you were on a big label in the sixties, like you, I don't even think small labels existed. You know, if, if you weren't good enough or, 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 you know, able to sell records, like you, you, you basically weren't going to get them made. Um, I, I think the seventies was when that starts opening up a little bit. I mean, you know, you get like the stooges, you know, being, I mean, and then dropped from a major label and stuff, but like, you know, you're you're starting to see like the like people are taking chances on things, and and that's I I think when like you you really get like the experimentation and everything coming through. That's interesting because I, I was I, I was actually also kind of thinking that it feels like the '60s was a little bit of like a trial run. You know, like obviously the music industry really kind of blows up like in the fifties with Elvis mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But you know, it's like, it's clear that they don't know like what they're doing. You know what I mean? Yet, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's so new. Yeah. They, they, yeah. It's like, they're kind of like, it's, it's just kind of like all over the place. You know, they can't like, and it just feels like by the time they get to the seventies, like labels and the music industry in general kind of like grows up and it gets like a little bit, it, it just gets like professionalized in a weird way where it's like, I, I think it results in like, yeah, I don't know. I can't decide because I, I think what you said is right. I think and yet what, it feels like less experimentation, like less off the wall, oddball shit in a weird way. I, I get that. I think what I sort of mean is like, uh, and, and this basically just happens, like the more technology uh, progresses, the like easier it becomes to make records, you know, like at, at this, like in the 70s, you're starting to get like, uh, I mean, they're still expensive, but you know, like a reel to reel player that you could have at your home to record. Uh, I think like, you know, um, the cassette is like comes out in the you know very late 70s and stuff like we're 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 like we're inching forward you know to to where today i think we're at basically the easiest where you could just do it on your you know couple hundred dollar laptop thing yeah, yeah. you know but but i i just feel like we're, we're we're constantly like moving forward where like more things are being given chances i mean you know like like punk really like um you know pops off in the late 70s and you know so many of those those bands um you know, are, are never really become famous, never really like sell a ton of records or anything, you know, but, but they made, they were able to make records, you know, um, of course, like the eighties is when I think, you know, it, it really peaks, but I, I think it starts like here in the seventies. Yeah. I just think it's interesting. Like a lot of sixties songs, they're like closer to jingles than like songs. You know what I'm saying? Um, they're like simpler and like just meant to like grab you immediately and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas like, 70s things it just feels like the music industry grows up but what do you think darren yeah i mean i pretty much agree with what you guys are saying in you know like dan had mentioned it just kind of seems to to relate to you know the growth in technology the um you know the availability of of being able to do more right in in a studio setting um whereas in the 60s there were limitations that they had to find basically like workarounds right to yeah, like um, bouncing experiment. tracks and everything. Yeah, yeah. So that turned into like, and the way we perceive it is like really experimental stuff that in the 70s suddenly became, you know, I think a little bit easier, right? Um, and you see, depending on which genre you want to pick, like, let's just say like hard rock, for instance, kind of like exploring 
you know, how far can we go with just a rock and roll band, like a, you know, a, a drums, bass, guitar type of thing before you get into the 80s and, you know, that suddenly changes as, again, technology moves on and, and introduce yeah. more instruments that people can then try out and experiment with. But, um, yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, I wanted to ask, because I, I bring this up probably, probably every episode, but, like, my, my theory that like the start of every decade just right on cue seems to like initiate a totally new musical movement you know what i mean so do you think that was true for this, for the transition between the 60s and the 70s oh yeah i mean definitely i mean like like i've i've talked about the whole episode you know like most of my records were like you know proto something or other you know i i i think that's that's the you know very definition of like becoming a new a new thing uh it is like so strange to how how that like really shakes out though you know yeah what do you think darren can you say this question again i mean my my thought is like it always seems to me that like right on cue the musical landscape just transforms like at the start of a new decade so Mm -hmm. i'm kind of wondering like the the hang-up i have is like if you were alive in 1970 would you because it's kind of like yeah like in retrospect it's like all this stuff seems to be setting, you know, the stage for what was going to be happening in the seventies. But it's like, maybe if you're around then it wouldn't seem that different from what came out in the late sixties. Yeah. I think it'd be really difficult to be perfectly honest. You know, I I don't think that the flipping of, you know, from December 31st, 1969, to January 1st, (laughs) 1970, there's just something that clicks, you know what I mean? Um, in fact, some of these records that we've talked about were being recorded in 1969, right? They, they started at that point. (laughs) So, you know, I think it'd be really difficult to perceive. Now, you know, I, I would I would say, like, I guess the way Dan is describing, like, Funhouse, for instance, like, something truly, like, off the wall at the time, I think people would be able to detect, like, wow, this is this is something very different than what I've heard before, you know? Maybe yeah, this yeah. is going to lead to something, but how, you know, you can't really say until you're, like, five or ten years in, you know, in to really look back and say, yeah, that was that was huge. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. I I just think about like our current situation in 2020, you know, 50 years later. And, um, you know, it's like, I'm just excited for like things to change because I feel like they always do, you know, right, right on cue there. But it's like, maybe we won't really even appreciate it until, you know, next decade. Um, So wrapping up here, any like final thoughts on the year 1970, having done this exercise for the last two weeks? um, Was 1970 a great year? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely was. I mean, like I said, looking through my Rate Your Music, I, I think it was th- 13 or 14 five stars I had. I didn't even, like, dig into the, you know, four and a halfs because, you know, clearly the fives <laughs> would, would make the list before they would. Uh, you know, uh, I, it really was, like, sort of uh, almost surprising to me. Like, like if you had just asked me before, like, is 1970, like, such a great year? I think I would, like, I, I don't I don't think it would, like, immediately jump out to me, you know, like, like some some years in the 60s you know or something um but i i think it really is it's a it's an underrated year yeah i mean i think it's a it's a good year you know uh similar to you dan i don't think heading into this i would have thought that there were this many records to choose from you know what i mean i was i was a little surprised that it, you know there was a number of records that i was familiar with and and had listened to but i i don't i still even after all this i'm not entirely sure that i would say it's like you know, comparable to some of like my personal favorite years, you know what I mean? Um, but overall, I mean, it's, it's, 
there's no way I could deny that it's at you know at least a, a good year, like a lot of sh- really really great records, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, we've talked about this before, and you guys might disagree. I know I'm a little soft when it comes to like handing out tens, but I feel like every record that all three of us mentioned, I would give a ten to, and it's like. You know, we all had pretty different lists, so I feel yeah, like that just true. says it all. You know, yeah, that's true. I mean, like, I I don't think any of us picked like a bad record. You know, there there's I wouldn't give all of ours uh, a ten, but I would. I mean, uh, you know, at least at least an eight or so. Uh, you know, uh, on all of them, it's it, it is pretty crazy with how different our lists were. I thought I could trick you into admitting that Van Morrison's Moon Dance is <laughs> or a that Led Zeppelin was was a ten. <laughs> No dice. No, I honestly Led Zeppelin. I give like a a, a nine. I, I I like that. Okay, record. okay. I like Led Zeppelin. Right. I I like Led Zeppelin. <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough for uh, this week. What do you think? We'd love to read your thoughts on the air. Emails popshieldpod at gmail dot com. Again, not sure what we're doing next episode. And uh, if you like the show, help us out. Subscribe. Leave us a five star review wherever you get your podcast. Stay connected. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. All that junk is at popshieldpod. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you. So long.